Hello and welcome to the Ryan Glover Podcast here with guests. I'm, of course, Ryan Glover here producing for the BlueWorldOrder.com website where we're here to happy have our first ever guest on the podcast, Jeff Calkins. You hear him every morning from 9 to 11 a.m. on 92.9 ESPN on the Jeff Calkins Show. And, of course, you read him in the commercial appeal for every sports columnist. Jeff is happy to join us here talking about the Tigers' football season and, of course, previewing the Birmingham Bowl and, of course, recapping this crazy season that happened with the Tiger football team. Jeff is happy to join us on the road driving to Buffalo to go meet his family for the beautiful Christmas holiday. So, Jeff, thank you for joining us this morning. How are you? I'm good. Happy to be on. Thanks. No, of course. So, Jeff, let's get right to it. Then, obviously, it's been a weird season for your, the Memphis Tigers football team from the head coach leaving to a new coach coming from all the talk of trying to get to the New Year's Six Bowl for the Fiesta Bowl, and now the Tigers have ended up in the Birmingham Bowl, which is still obviously a good bowl, obviously not what the team expected earlier on in the season, but now sitting at 9-3, and three, going to the Birmingham Bowl in just over a week, a week tomorrow to be exact. So your thoughts before we break the whole Birmingham Bowl about this crazy season that's happened, what do you think about the pluses, the negatives, what did you all see? Oh, I think on balance, you have to say it was a spectacular year. Um, you can quibble with various parts of it um, if you want, but um, and even listen, even when we people were fantasizing about going to a uh, you know a Peach Bowl or whatnot, I never really thought it was the likely scenario. It was never likely that they were going to go to one of those places. It was within the realm of possibility, and we see that Houston has achieved that, but. Um, I never thought it was the likeliest scenario. Um, you just look at what Memphis football once was, and what it once was was, you know, you'd go to two or three games at the beginning of the year, they'd get their butt kicked, and then you'd sort of give up and wait for basketball and maybe tell some jokes about how they have a punter on the cover of the media guide or whatever, and that was Memphis football. And now it was, you know, by any by all accounts, it was an immensely entertaining um, season with so many entertaining moments. I mean, the, the uh, you know, the game against Bowling Green was wildly entertaining. The game against Cincinnati was wildly entertaining. Um, I think the apex of the season was the win overall miss where you'll, and, and it, it'll linger forever. Like those, that picture of that Liberty Bowl um, just jammed with people and not just, you know, almost all in blue. Um, and then and then lining up and beating all Miss, I, you know that that is a that was an unbelievable day, and um, and we can talk about you know then what happened subsequently, but um, you know that's what you hope for seasons like this, and you're trying to build. Obviously, they have uh, aspirations of getting into the Big Twelve or whatnot, and and so to have seasons like this help that cause, and then to get through it and still have even though you're very clearly going to lose Paxton Lynch to the NFL draft and, you're going to, and you already have lost Justin Puente, to get through it and to have a, a new coaching hire that I really think is maintains all the momentum of this year. The idea that you can lose Fuente and Lynch and still have as much momentum going into next year um, as, you know, as there would have been, honestly, if they'd stayed practically, it feels like. Um, is a remarkable accomplishment. So, yeah, there were some there were some performances that you wish had gone a different way, and there were some breaks that you would have gone a different way, and and there's some questions about the future very clearly, and we can get into all those. But sports is about being entertained and, and compelling Saturdays, and this program offered up a lot of them. And so I don't know how you really can complain about any of it. 
yeah, like you said, it all started with that Bowling Green game. You know the first two games, the Missouri State and the Kansas games, were going to be pretty obvious big wins for the Tigers, which they were. But that Bowling Green one, like we said, listening to your podcast for the commercial appeal or just talking on the radio show, you all, we all thought that Bowling Green was quote-unquote a trap game. And obviously it was close to do it with the Tigers only pulling out the 44-41 to 41 victory. But I think we all knew there, Jeff, starting from that game when – a lot of people around this area and a lot of people nationally said that the Bowling Green game was going to be a loss and the Tigers coming out of that one, going on the road and picking up that win, I think that started this magical season where people started to believe more and more and started to get more behind this team. And the way they did it, honestly, to me, it really even... The Kansas game was... And in retrospect, you know, we know that Kansas had a just god-awful season and we would know they weren't good. But um, they didn't play that well. They fell behind early. And then... And I remember the column that I wrote after that game was that if you have a quarterback like this, all things are possible, you know, because Paxton just carried him to victory in that game. And um, and that's where you first started to see what Paxton would be. I mean, a carryover, obviously, from the Miami Beach Bowl last year where he was so productive. Um, but, you know, and then the Missouri State, he didn't they have to do anything but he was really good against kansas and that sort of alerted you to the fact that oh, this could really be special and then you know the defense was awful for much of the year and um and you you do it's what an interesting question is how much of this season's success i think justin fuente is a really splendid coach really great and i think he's going to be wildly successful at virginia tech but how much of this year's success was purely because they have a top 10 NFL pick at quarterback. And he was, you know, they wouldn't have won the Bowling Green. They didn't win the Bowling Green because of any, anyone else. You know, they won it because Paxton's fading back and throwing bombs, you know. And um, and same thing with Ole Miss. They were, like, we talk about how they scored all those points and lined up and played them even, and they, they did. But really, the one place where they were the better team was a quarterback. And that's funny because Chad Kelly's awfully good, too. And But they were just better at quarterback. Cincinnati, they were just, you know, they, uh, there were a lot of, you know, the, the, he just carried them to victory after victory after victory. And um, and then when he started being mortal, for whatever reason, um, then they started losing. Uh, you know, and it wasn't even he had bad games. He just had, like, regular quarterback games. And if he had had a regular quarterback game against Cincinnati, they would have lost. If he had had a regular quarterback game against Bowling Green, they would have lost. If he had had a regular quarterback game against Ole Miss, they would have lost. So much of the season was about... Paxton Lynch, and I, you started to see that to me in the Kansas game, and then Bowling Green was silly the way he was how good he was against Bowling Green, and uh, you know, and then and, and away you went. Yeah, I completely agree with you that Justin Fuente is arguably, you know, a top 10 coach and probably the best young coach during the college football season. But you, I completely agree with you. If you didn't have Paxton Lynch, it doesn't matter who your head coach is because, like you said, the Bowling Green game where you had that unbelievable trick play that everybody was talking about that was on ESPN for a long time and then just the battle back in that Cincinnati game when, you know, the emotions were high when Cincinnati lost their quarterback to that awful concussion and he didn't move for a couple of minutes to get back his team there and then still put up 53 points there. So I, I completely agree. I think we both agree Justin Fuente is going to do a heck of a job at Virginia Tech and you know best of luck to him but this season would have nothing like it would have done without Paxton Lynch yeah it's just hard to separate when you have such a clearly transcendent player like that it's hard to separate how much is the coach and how much is the transcendent player now particularly when the coach is really in many ways responsible for the transcendent player he recruited him he developed him and everything else and yet and it, it will never know exactly like with Tommy West we can look back on his tenure and we can say, you know, Tommy was good, but really 
a reason that he that he was you know had the success he had was because he had a transcendent player, and then once he no longer had them, we know what happened. And you know, it was really D'Angelo. That was more D'Angelo than Tommy, very clearly. We won't ever have that. We won't ever know for sure with Justin because you know he's not going to be here to, to see what happens next. I tend to think that Justin is the kind of coach who can develop. You know, he won with different quarterbacks at TCU, and I think he would have figured out a way to win with a different quarterback here at Memphis. But we'll never know for sure how much of this, of the last you know two years' success, was Justin and how much was Paxton. Yeah, absolutely. And then we'll transition over to the old Miss game, which we all agree that's the biggest Tiger football win in program history. Obviously, beating the number under under then the number tenth ranked team in the country. And then, like we mentioned, Jeff, there it all started off awfully, right? The first two plays of the game, Lacan Tweedwell with that quick little touchdown pass, and you're thinking it's going to be a long afternoon because we all knew this old Miss offense was so explosive they could score with a snap of the finger. And then all of a sudden, offense woke up, 28 unanswered points for the Tigers to take the lead into halftime. And then the third quarter, they put a goo- they put a goose. Egg goose egg up against Ole Miss didn't even get a score of points and then like we agreed Jeff the defense obviously not the same as it was last season but when it mattered the most against that Ole Miss game obviously adrenaline pumped up the crowd pumped up an early start everybody was excited on ABC national televised game I think that's when the defense started to realize that we can actually be better than all this criticism was yeah I mean the defense was still you know mediocre at its best it achieved mediocrity uh, but that was better than what it was previous, um, and so that was you know improvement. Was it was it twenty eight straight or was it all together thirty one straight that they scored? But they certainly did rattle off a whole bunch of points against Ole Miss. It was something you couldn't quite believe you were seeing, and that's what started the really started the national talk. And it's funny you talk about one of the biggest games in program history. You know, we always think the recent one is the biggest. I think the reason that this feels biggest is, and again. That Tennessee win was huge. Uh, the first Ole Miss win ever was huge. There have been, uh, you know, beating USC, huge. Beating Auburn, huge. Beating Alabama, huge. Beating Florida, huge. Like, you go right down the list. Um, I think the reason this felt uh, so significant was um, that it was really, unlike the Tennessee game, Tennessee win, Rip Shears victory over Tennessee, it was. It felt like it was part of something, like part of growth in the program. It wasn't fluky. It wasn't a kickoff return where a guy maybe had his knee down, and then a, you know, it was lining up and beating them. And and not only that, it was at a time in the program when, um, you know, we know how critical it will be for Memphis to somehow try to figure out a way to get on the other side of the ever widening gap between the half and the half nines. And so, the persuasive nature of it. The fact that it was part of a larger improvement in the program and the long-term you know, ramifications and goals of the program, I think, really are what helped make this, the, is why it was such a significant win. Yeah, so I like we said, one of the biggest wins in program history. But I think the the crazy thing is, Jeff, is the week after the Friday night game against Tulsa. You know, it's a short week at Tulsa, like I mentioned. Tulsa had one of the most explosive offenses in the country. Obviously, Paxton Lynch was a huge part of getting the 66-point victory over Tulsa in that game. But that that's when we transition over to Justin Fuente and think, you know, all the hype he was on the college football show in the afternoon, one afternoon, talking about the Tigers and talking about the New Year's Six chance. And then, like I mentioned, a short week to Tulsa, putting up a big victory, double-digit victory against Tulsa against another nationalized televised game. That's when I think it showed how awesome Justin Fuente was to keep this program together and keep all the hype as try to keep it as slow as possible because you knew it was as, it was at the highest it's ever been there. 
Yeah, I mean, that was an interesting game because he was going home. You yeah. know, that was the theme to that one. He was going home, and I just want to read the report. To the matter, people have been talking about Justin Fuente. You know, he was named every offseason list had him on the hottest coaches in America. There was a, I mean, there was one list, I forgot who it was, that had him on one of the top 10 coaches in America. And not even back top under 40, just top 10 coaches in America. I think he was 10. And that was before any of this. So, you know, we knew going into the season that this was likely just its last year here. I think everyone had that expectation. Um, and I think that would have been true whether he had beaten Ole Miss or lost Ole Miss. Um, I still think he would have, uh, the way it evolved, I still think he would have left. As long as he had a good year, um, I think people understood how smart he was and what he had done at Memphis. Um, yeah, the amazing thing is, is to look back and to think about those playoff shows and the debate, you know, that was, you know, Memphis was as mentioned as, except for like Alabama, which was, you know, early on people perceived that it was Alabama was ranked too high and didn't, he deserved to be ranked that high. So that was a big topic of discussion. But beyond that, you know, you got Dan Wetzel, national columnist for Yahoo, writing about how Memphis deserves to be in the top ten and that Memphis got screwed. And you got, you know, Pat Forty, I think, had Memphis in the, you know, he made him in the top four. I mean, you know, it was insane, the level of conversation that was about Memphis football. He was like, you were living in this surreal world where what God's name is happening, that, that literally all across the country people are talking about Memphis football. And, uh, and it was fun because you got to, you know, even after beating Ole Miss, um, you got to have a couple weeks where you got to savor that. And then, of course, came the, um, you know, the loss to Houston, uh, where that started to, to go away. It's funny, in retrospect, you know, you had lots of people. I think it's looking for sour grapes, largely. You had lots of people who said, oh, well, Memphis started to lose right when, uh, I guess the loss against Navy first. Memphis started to lose right when Justin Fuente was flirting with Virginia Tech. And um, I just don't put any sock in that at all, like zero. I, You know, Memphis got beat by Navy. They just were flat beat by Navy. They could play them. You know, Justice could swear allegiance forever to the University of Memphis, and they would have gotten beat by Navy. They couldn't stop the option. They didn't have no prayer to stop on the option. The speed on the outside defensively was not there. They just, you know, Navy did whatever they wanted, and they weren't. And and that was a game where the only way they would have beaten Navy was if Paxton Lynch had one of those Bowling Green games where you're literally, you know they're scoring every single time, and so you have to score every single time. And if you don't score every single time, you're losing to Navy. And so they were going to lose to Navy. The Houston game, they were, it's crazy to say that they weren't prepared. They weren't emotionally up. They weren't, they were all those things. They came out, they dominated them. They played a great, they had a great game plan. And then things fell apart in the end, the way that things can flukishly fell apart in the end. But, you know, you get a, a field goal breaks a little bit a different way at the end of the game. And it's a different result. And are you saying that on the basis of a field goal going one way or another is whether they were prepared or not? Like, is Justin Fuente's flirtation with Virginia Tech the reason a field goal went, you know, missed as opposed to it went true? That's just dumb. So you can argue that the, the one game that I think, you know, the Temple game, they didn't look emotionally ready for that. But was that because their coach was on the way out, it appeared at that point? Or was that because... Um, you know, they just lost a heartbreaker. They they beat beat by, by Navy, and then they just got their guts rid of their heart ripped out of their chest. Um, 
by Houston, and they just weren't, you know, they weren't in, and they weren't into it anymore. And I don't, you know, it's they've they've kept the sort of fever pitch of intensity for two years, one game at a time, and they very clearly, at that point, let go of the rope. But I think to, to chalk any of that up to Justin Fuente is silly, and I also think it's naive to think that that's not the way college sports works anyway. That's what that's what they do. That's what teams do. They they are talking midway through the year. They are starting to talk to coaches. And if you are going to wait, and um, um, you know if you're going to if you're going to wait uh, for a season to play out, um, then you're not going to get a coach. Memphis didn't wait for uh, Missouri season to end before they started, you know, thinking about Barry Odom. Um, and you know, and and it's just, just not the way the world works. So I attribute none of that to to none of that sort of stalling down the stretch to Fuente. Yeah, I agree with the Navy win, with the Navy loss. That if it was at the beginning of the season, if you had the whole training camp and preseason to maybe f- think about them and worry about them, then maybe you'd have a better chance. But like you said, on the on the weeks, it's just one week between the thirty first and the seventh. You had to play them, and you knew Navy was just unstoppable. And I don't know if you remember this, Jeff, but we were actually at the FedEx Forum for that Houston game, watching the Memphis Tigers, and we were in the media room, and we were all in the me- and all the media was watching the Houston game on right. the on the um, TV, and then of course during the passenger press conference, and the crazy thing was we were in the media room watching the TV and as soon as Jake Elliott missed all the media splitted out all different cur- curse words and it was just like you said you tweeted out the absolute perfect tweet talking about I'm paraphrasing but you were talking about you know when did when did Memphis football care about this much and that showed you how devastating that loss really was and then like you mentioned the Temple one I think the whole yes Fuente was as, the the hype was as big as it's ever been at that game but like you said telling 20 to 21 year old kids you know to come back a week later and try to give your best effort after that gut-wrenching defeat I think that was just that that's what that, that's what the case was yeah, and then they obviously put the capper on it with the, the SMU terrible. So, um, but they did that, and that was a surreal game. By then, everybody knew that Justin was gone, and it was sort of this awkward deal where, you know, Memphis and Justin were trying to pretend that nothing had been decided. And I guess formally, you know, he hadn't said yes, absolutely, but it was understood at that point that he was gone. Um, you know, Pat Forty had read it earlier, barring some you know, last minute collapse and some detail. It was, that's what was going to happen. And we knew that's what was going to happen. And, um, and so it made for this surreal thing. It's funny. People criticized ESPN for quote unquote, releasing the news during the game. Yeah. It's not how it works. They don't release the news during the game. They're not working in tandem with, um, first of all, there were, there were other, folks who had reported it before the game. There was a TV station in Washington that reported that it was done well before the game. So that's what happened. And then very clearly, um, you know, ESPN was probably getting all this from the, from the Virginia Tech AD. And, 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 you know, and Justin and the AD didn't want to, um, they didn't want it to be out that it was done before the last game. That's just, they just didn't. So, but then once the last game was, you know, underway, they very clearly, ah, you know, whatever. You know, now we'll release that it will, meaning Virginia Tech or whomever was the source. So, yeah, you can use it now. And so that's what happened. And, and um, But there was no great mystery to this, you know, for the last two weeks. Honestly, I think it was pretty clear. Um, by the time I wrote the story saying that Memphis had offered Justin a new contract, um, and the and the terms of that offer, the only reason Memphis wanted that, and that was before the 
that was before the Tulane game. The only reason Memphis wanted that story out, Tom Bowen talked about it during the Saturday of the Tulane game. The only reason Tom Bowen wanted that out was because it was very clear to them at that point that they were losing him. You know, so you wanted the story out that he was gone. I mean, we that we made an effort. You know, this is what we did to keep him. If you were actually thought you were going to keep him, then you didn't need the story out about how much you'd offered him. You just introduced him at a press conference saying you signed an extension. But you need to show how much you've done to keep him um, if you know he's leaving. And so I'm pretty clear that before the uh, before the Temple game, they knew that Justin was leaving, and the rest was just you know the rest was just playing out the string. So did we? So from the best of you know, did he actually go during the week at all to Virginia Tech before that SMU game? I don't believe that. No, I don't believe he did. I don't. I, he said he didn't, and and he said he never had never set foot in Blacksburg before he actually took the job in Blacksburg. And I think that makes sense. You can't. You're listen. Justin Fuente is not stupid, and um, there's a lot of risk to showing up in Blacksburg. You know, a uh, you know a maintenance person can see you, and tell, you know, like someone can see you. And if you show up there, given everything you said to your team about holding the rope and whatever else, and then you're seen as literally in another city, I think that's a bad look. He'd never been to Memphis before he took the Memphis job. You know, he never, he didn't come and check it out. It's not how it works. You have to just say, I hear Broxburg's great. I'm going to go. Um, now, was Virginia Tech, you know, were they uh, in Philly and were they in Memphis the week before? Yeah, I believe that was, I believe that to be true. Uh, but I don't think that Justin went to Blacksburg before he went to Blacksburg to accept the job. So then, obviously, like we said there with the SMU thing, you know, it got announced during the game. Then Fuente had to make that awkward press conference after the game where he's obviously going to deny everything before, you know, next week and before that came about. And then obviously it all started with the Barry Odom thing. We all, I think we all knew from the day one that, you know, Memphis, that was probably their number one choice. And obviously it seemed that way. And then all of a sudden he came to Memphis reportedly one Tuesday night, you know, before that Memphis basketball game where they wanted to quote-unquote introduce him before the game, and then something happened that night. Do you have any idea what happened that night where it made Barry Odom want to go back to Missouri and then maybe pursue that Missouri job, which he obviously ended up getting? Well, to be clear, I don't think there was any chance that Barry Odom was going to take the Memphis job ever. Nothing had to happen as long as the Missouri job was out there. You know, he was not going to take the Memphis job when the Missouri job was out there because, as he correctly, and as Jimmy Sexton correctly diagnosed, um, he might he was in the running for the Missouri job. So Memphis could do whatever they wanted, but there was no way that he was going to take that job um, while the Missouri job was still open. That would have been dumb. And so I think Memphis was, A, frustrated by that. They wanted him to commit, and he wasn't going to commit. And, B... Um, and you saw other people, um, uh, Eddie has been reported that there was some, you know, that they felt they were being lowballed. I do think that's true. I think that uh, the Barry Odom camp wasn't really impressed by the first offer from Memphis. But that, in the end, was immaterial because they weren't going to accept a job in Memphis as long as the Missouri job was open and they were in the running for it. So, um so what happened was, the funny thing is, I mean, literally the Saturday of the SMU game, I was told we have one candidate in mind who uh, we've identified and will be in, introduced on Tuesday and then introduced at the basketball game. 
And if that doesn't happen, we have another candidate, and it didn't play out quite like this, but pretty close. Uh, we have another candidate who will be in loose Friday. Um, and that's plan A and that's plan B, although they didn't want to call them plan A and plan B because they wanted them both to be plan A, A and A1. Um, so they just decided after that, um, you know, the meeting with, that with, with Odom on whatever day, that might have been Tuesday or two, might have been Tuesday, but they moved on and they moved on because they couldn't afford to wait. They didn't want to wait. They didn't, you know, and so they had literally just moved on. And then you had the next day where all these rumors were Memphis is reigniting and they're still talking. No, they were not. They had moved on. They were not talking at that point. At that point, they had moved on to Mike Norvell and, uh, Brad Martin got in a plane with, uh, with David Rudd and with Mark Allnut. And they flew to, uh, you know, they flew to New Orleans where Norvell was recruiting and they met with, um, they met with him there and um and that was that and and uh and and so then he was introduced i think as 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 they said on friday so as soon as that barry odom story went down and we all knew like you mentioned the day after it wasn't going to happen so mike norvell was definitely the number one choice after that there was nobody else they had been talking i don't think that's that's true i think they were had other people they were talking to because you but they zeroed in quickly on Mike Norvell. They talked to him on the phone before they met him in person, but they did want to meet him in person. And so they had to, you know, to say that it was settled, um, that's not true, because both sides wanted to meet in person. And so um, I guess it was Thursday that they actually, was he introduced Friday? Was the press conference Friday? Yeah, Friday, Friday. Yeah. I think it was Thursday where they realized, okay, well, we're going to, you know, we can meet Thursday. And so they'd been talking on the phone, and they had conversations with him on the phone. And then, um, and then Thursday is the day they met in New Orleans, and uh, and and then he came back on the plane with them to Memphis. And then, like we said, the press conference was an absolute win. But like we know, press conferences you can say whatever you want, and it's going to be sound fantastic and all that stuff. But I think. Um, Norvell really hit home with a lot of people saying, you know, it was all about fit, all about family. He said that multiple times for sure. And then, so your overall thoughts so far about the new head coach, obviously he's come to a couple of practices before the bowl game, but he's trying to stay out of there right now, just being, you know, letting Dickey be in charge of that for sure. And then as soon as the bowl came over, he's over there. But with the whole press conference down and all about the fit in the family and now what you've seen so far, is this the perfect fit for, no- for Novell and Memphis? Well, I'll tell you what I like about it, and then I'll tell you what I, I still wonder about it. Um, what I like about it is um, he very clearly has had opportunities to go elsewhere and really does believe in this job. And, um, you know, I don't think when he says that, I don't think he's fibbing in any way. Um, I think he really did believe in this job, went after this job, wanted this job, um, and understands this job. And I think that's great. Um, I think, you know, his reputation is sterling in terms of um, his offensive, uh, you know, the offense that he runs and, as a recruiter, you know, um, he has a tremendous reputation as a recruiter, and you very quickly have seen that with the quarterback that he picks up, uh, the former Tennessee quarterback who he commits and his, his junior college quarterback who's going to be joining him. So I think he's going to be a tremendous recruiter. Um, his enthusiasm is very clear. Um, his credentials are impeccable, um, and he very clearly wanted this job, and I thought he did a really fine job at the press conference. So and he's putting together an interesting staff. I'll be interested to see when we know the, the, the whole staff, but um, impressive staff. I thought the decision to bring in Daryl Dickey to keep Daryl Dickey showed great maturity. 
um, that he's not threatened by the presence of Daryl Dickey, but he instead sees him as an asset. I think that shows great judgment on his part. Um, so a lot of things. And then the, the, the biggest thing to me is that I sort of mentioned earlier, the idea that you could lose Justin Fuente and hire someone who people are every bit as excited about as Justin Fuente for the program is fairly miraculous to me. I think people are more excited than Mike about Mike Norvell than they would have been about Barry Odom. And so for the momentum of the program, I think all that is, you know, remarkable, a remarkable hire. And the only thing I would say in terms of my misgivings, not misgivings, but what, what remains to be seen is I just don't think, you know, like, I just don't think you can know he's 34 years old. And when he talks, Here's the truth. Justin Fuente um, was a young guy who, when he steps in front of the microphone, looked kind of shell-shocked. But when you spent time with him, you realized that underneath there was a remarkably smart, effective, like he was a real deal, the whole package, right? Like, um, and so you hear Mike Norvell talk, and honestly, he sounds a little like Josh Pastor. You know, he's like, he's heavy on cliches. He's heavy on, you know, I mean, I've heard him on a couple of radio appearances now. And, and, and I just don't know. The hope is that there are lots of coaches talking cliches. It's not a, you know, huge black arc against them. Butch Jones is very, he's the most cliche guy I've ever heard in my life over at Tennessee. I just, we don't know what's under there is my question. And that's, I, I, I'm not, I'm just, so, if you ask me, is it the perfect fit? Is it the perfect guy? I'm not willing to say that because I don't know him well enough yet, you know? And so is he a man of substance and is he a man who is really has the stuff to do this really hard job? I think we'll find out, you know, people were pumped about Josh Pastor after his first press conference too. And so I think, um, I hope I was very actually, after spending a little time with Justin Fuente, I was pretty convinced he was the real deal. And um, and I really like this hire from the optics of it. It looks great. It has checks all the boxes. I haven't spent enough time with him that I'm actually willing to go out on a limb and say, yes, this is the perfect fit. I'm willing to say he looks like the perfect fit, and I don't know. I just hope that there's, you know, I hope that he's as good as that the reality of Mike Norvell is as good as the image of Mike Norvell because the image is, is pretty good so far. Yeah, Jeff, I completely agree. It's been a fantastic season for the Memphis Tigers, and it's been fun ride for sure. Obviously, the Birmingham Bowl, the last game of the regular season, Wednesday, December 30th. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us on the Ryan Glover Podcast with guests. Obviously, safe travels to Buffalo this week, and enjoy your Merry Christmas, and obviously, hopefully the Tigers can pull off the win December 30th. Thank you so much. Should be fun. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Thank you. So that was Jeff Calkins, of course, here from the Ryan Glover Podcast with guests. This is for the blueworldorder.com. Obviously, this is produced by the Jazz Lover Station, WMR 91.7 FM, the best jazz in the, men- in the Mid-South. So of course, tune in to 91.7 for your best jazz. I'm Ryan Glover. Thank you so much for Jordan Taylor for, for producing. He'll give his final thoughts on every podcast. Unfortunately, not today. We have time to run out for now. But until then, we'll be back next week. Until then, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays.